Hello and welcome back to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and our very special guest today is David Dukerson, who's just published a book with Thomas Nelson in the States called Neighborliness, Love Like Jesus, Cross Dividing Lines, Transform Your Community. David spent more than 20 years investing into communities as a pastor, speaker, teacher, advocate and author. Through his Neighborliness Center, David invests in churches, nonprofits, and businesses across the world through speaking, teaching, and writing. The Neighborliness Center is a nonprofit hub that provides equitable access to education, employment, healthcare, and housing to neighbors in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in the States. And David joins me now on Zoom. Hi, David. How are you? Uh, I'm so looking forward to this conversation, and I'm, I'm so well and uh, just grateful for the opportunity to to talk about neighborliness and, and and more than anything talk about you know like like it's God's story you know I mean it's, it all points to Jesus so absolutely and it's our pleasure to have you uh, with us today now what is the neighborliness center so the neighborliness center came out of the work that I've been doing the last several years uh, last two and a half years I came out of full-time ministry in the local church we had started two churches in Charlotte North Carolina and uh, the Neighborliness Center was really just born out of this realization that I think that we've spent a lot of time focusing on the front half of the greatest commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I think that the more that I started to study both at an academic level and just anecdotally in my community, relationships forming, I just don't think that we have spent too much time as a church trying to figure out what does it mean to truly love our neighbor that comes from, particularly that comes from different racial or economic backgrounds. So the Neighborliness Center creates resources for churches, businesses, nonprofit organizations to really engage in the work of justice for their communities. What is neighborliness? So neighborliness is a mouthful, um, as we just uh, laughed about right before we jumped on air. And it, has diff- it has different uh, spellings and different countries. It does have <laughs> different spellings. Yeah, yeah. My, my Aussie friends uh, down, down in Australia, they, they, they add the, the U in there, neighborliness, and yes. I'm sure you did too. I did. And yes. Yeah, so neighborliness uh, is just a, it's a fun, whimsical word that I think people can get pretty um, nervous when talking about race and economics. I think that there are cultural things that have led us to be uncomfortable talking about things that Jesus fully engaged in, crossing dividing lines and engaging with people from different backgrounds, whether it's race, religion, um, economics, any dividing line. And neighborliness to me, I just found I just found this word. I was doing some reading during my doctoral studies uh, from a theologian named Walter Brueggemann, and I was reading a book called Money and Possessions. It was a very thick book that <laughs> that referenced every every mention of money and possessions in the Bible, and in this very dense academic book, I found this word neighborliness and I just kept on playing with it. And it was just kind of fun neighborliness, like uh, just this whimsical word. And it just became this way of, of looking at the world and hoping to embody the presence of Jesus uh, to the world around me. And so that's, so I just started using it all the time, like the spirit of neighborliness. And I talked about wanting to have the ethos of neighborliness. It's just a fun way to address uh, what can largely be some uncomfortable topics if we've not explored them. Have we lost a sense of neighborliness in our neighborhoods and communities, David, do you reckon? Yeah, I think that it's been a struggle ever since the, you know, since Adam and Eve. I think that, you know, the the enemy is 
stated on record three things that he does is steal, kill, and destroy, right? And so if the greatest commandment says that we are to love God with every part of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself, then we should probably take heed to the fact that the enemy is going to come at us to distract us from loving God and for us to be divided from our neighbors. And so I would say that maybe we haven't lost a sense of neighborliness. Maybe we've never actually found a true expression of it. I think that we can see it like lightning flashing in a night sky. Every once in a while, we see beauty and we see the, the just the stunning nature of what happens when we orient our hearts around the Lord. But I think that neighborliness is something to aspire to that is attainable, but we need Jesus in order to reach it. How did your uh, neighborliness journey start in your church? So we had, you know, in the opening salvo of chapter one of my book, there is this moment where this beautiful church that we enjoyed, we planted it, you know, over five years, it grew a couple hundred people, word of mouth, just, I don't know. And, you know, it was just such a beautiful expression of the gospel. And I just got up there one day and started to preach and I, I got really convicted because I looked out and everybody looked like me. And I don't know why it happened on that day. I don't know why that was the moment that God used to open my eyes. But man, my eyes were open that day. And I start, there was that moment, a conviction of the Holy Spirit. We all look alike in a very diverse city. So Charlotte, North Carolina, every race, religion, I mean, you can think of is right there. We're right downtown. We call it uptown in Charlotte. But, you know, we had just, I don't know, we, I wrote in my journal that like people invite like people. And, and so that day I started to do something about it. I said, Lord, I need you to change my heart and help me to understand why I've led us to this point um, as the pastor of the church, because I wasn't following in the way of Jesus with crossing dividing lines. And I wasn't, I didn't have this spirit of neighborliness. And so really the last, you know, eight to 10 years of my life have really been given to trying to figure out, Lord, what does it mean for us to, to truly cross dividing lines and to engage in our community in a way that, that brings beauty and, and, and helps us to explore that spirit of neighborliness. Yes. To what extent is the church or, or some of the church preoccupied with white middle class people? Well, I think that the white middle class people are preoccupied with white middle class people. I, I, I don't know if people of color or indigenous folks that are, you know, my, my friends in Australia, I've got a lot of friends in Australia. I don't know if the, you know, the, the folks that have been around there for a long time really care about, you know, the white middle class. I think that we have become preoccupied as um, people that have been viewed as folks that have been seated in positions of cultural power and influence. And so when we, when we have a system that looks like us and we benefit from that system, it's very easy to be preoccupied by keeping that system to look that way, because if it were to look differently, it may jeopardize some of the things that we benefit from. And so, you know, I know, I know quite a few people that uh, are not at all preoccupied with the white church, but I think that a lot of white people could do well. And I don't mean this as a, you know, I mean, it is an indictment, but I don't mean it in a, in a negative sense. I mean it in a God honoring sense. I think that we need to become more curious about people around us and the experiences of others and prefer the other and allow some of those systems 
to be interrupted of the white middle class and make room for more brilliant voices uh, in our churches. Yes. How did people in your church react when you when they learned you were moving the church into a predominantly black neighborhood? Yeah, we uh, we had a good number of people that were very, very supportive and they, they became like an anchor to me. We had some wonderful leaders that were very, they, they felt the call. And then a lot of people voted with their feet and they just started to walk out. Uh, the day that we announced that we were going to be moving from one side of town, which was very affluent and white, literally four miles to the other side of the buildings of uptown Charlotte. Uh, we lost 25% of our church in one week. And it was just off the announcement that we were going to be doing that. And I just was totally blindsided. I was not ready for that reaction. Uh, I did not take into proper consideration the deep-seated dynamics that were at play with race and economics, because we were moving right on the edge of where the affluence stopped at one side of Berry Hill Avenue, and then directly on the other side, which is where the church was, literally across the street, was the beginning of the Camp Green neighborhood, which was historically black and historically poor neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, I think even as a as a pastor, I could have done better preparing our people for that moment because it was very jarring for them. But I just didn't realize how many deeply embedded biases, like, I mean, I got responses like, we're not sending our kids to that community. And we're not going to do children's church in that community with those people. And it just blew my mind because here it was this like beautiful church family that I had so poured my heart into and, and loved deeply. I just didn't expect that much vitriol to come back. And so we saw God do miracles. We participated in this journey with a group of business leaders and seven different nonprofits. We 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 renovated a 40,000 square foot facility and turned it into a community center and God provided every dime. It was a, it was a miracle of his grace and provision. And normally when you have that much excitement, your church is like kind of ramping up in momentum. By the time we moved into that facility, we had lost half our church. And so it was a very painful season, a very revealing and self-reflective season but it was one that God used ultimately for his glory. And, um, and we had a lot of people come back eventually once we started to really um, understand what we had gotten ourselves into. And, um, and that was a long journey of learning and growing. It's an amazing story. I want to come on and talk about um, the business community's part in this in, in a moment, yeah. a bit later on. But uh, you write it in your book, and it's fascinating. You write in your book about what you call gentr- gentrification and property development in parts of the States. How... How is property development affecting communities in parts of the states? And it's happening in New Zealand as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, gentrification, uh, Stanford University, uh, there's a scholar named Jacqueline Huang that um, she defines gentrification as new residents moving into new communities and new money coming into communities. And so it's like, it's just this really practical thing, right? Like where you have these, these new residents coming into town and then all of a sudden new, new money comes into town. But what largely happens is that people are pushed out of those communities when that happens. And largely longtime residents that are from lower economic classes are moved out of communities. And that's what gentrification is. Now, here's the deal. Gentrification is largely viewed here in the States as a bad word. But it's not always a bad word, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot of people in communities 
that really wish that there was a lot more, you know, resources in their community or, or things that they could benefit from uh, retail stores or grocery stores or whatever that may be. And the quote that really hit me when I was on this journey of learning about gentrification was from one of the longtime residents. She said, I want new stuff in our community too. I just want to be able to stay when it gets here. And that really hit me because um, economics are a force that are largely uh, undefeated. So if you've got more money and more power, you can kind of get whatever you want. And so I think that gentrification in a negative sense is almost like a bludgeoning. It is, I will take what I want and, uh, and I will remove those who are in my way. How can communities form helping networks in that situation to help the communities that are affected? So I think that, so helping networks is a, it's like a research term that talks about the way that, that communities form and, and that people help literally help each other to in, you know, like make it through life basically. Right. But like, I think that well-intended people can help in a wrong way. So there's a chapter in my book that I call toxic charity, which is based off of a book called toxic charity by Robert Lupton. And I think that we have to understand that instincts are a combination of lived experience and knowledge. And so the only way that we're going to have proper instincts to help people in our communities and in communities that have been largely overlooked is we have to build relationships in communities and and listen to the voice of the residents that have been there for a long time. Listen to the voice of people that, um, that are community elders and community leaders. And, and I think that many times what ends up happening is that we end up making decisions based off of our own perspective, instead of having the lived experience and the knowledge of what it's been like to be in that community and the help that somebody might need might be different than the help that we are trying to give. Yes. If someone is listening to this who has a vision for wanting to do outreach and work with community, local communities and form relationships with the, the people around them, around their church, how, what do they do? What are some practical things that pastors and congregations can start thinking and praying about to develop a, a better relationship with their communities? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Um, the, the thing that I would encourage is just take the next right step. And so what I mean by that is if you are somebody that has spent quite a bit of time reading about systemic inequality or racial tensions or racial inequality, it might be time to start moving, right? It might be start time to start like actually doing something. Um, you know, for those that that haven't spent a lot of time but have a heart to help, I think it's really important to start with prayer. Everything that I, everything, literally everything that I have experienced in this work and in my journey of learning about neighborliness and trying to engage in communities started before the Lord in prayer. And that's really important. So I would start praying that the Lord would change, change our hearts. But then also beyond that, I think that, you know, readings, I mean, it's why, it's why I wrote neighborliness, right? It's like, there's a season of learning that people need to go through. It might be time to start looking into things like, you know, I mean, I'll throw out a couple of words that maybe people aren't familiar with. There's, you know, an area of study called um, asset-based community development. There's an area of study called holistic community development that is just really, really practical stuff on how you can engage your community in a really beautiful and a really powerful way. But I would say don't move too quickly if you haven't. They want to act too quickly to try and solve problems that they don't understand. 
And so that, it, that becomes a big problem is if we have not developed the proper level of understanding for engaging communities, then we're, we're not going to really be able to uh, address things in a way that is effective. Mm-hmm. How can churches work? Because you mentioned business, working with local business communities. How can churches work with their local business communities to do outreach and mission? Yeah, I actually think that the future of the kingdom of God largely rests in the hands of entrepreneurs. And and I I'm, I mean, I guess that's going to take a little bit of explaining because like, I think that the entrepreneurs are the ones that have in the Ephesians 4 gifting of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. The apostolic calling is one that breaks new ground. It's it's the entrepreneurs that try new things and, and attempt to bring new solutions to old problems. And I think that addressing issues in the same way that we've been doing for over, you know, like decades and decades and decades of trying to engage high poverty communities. I think that it's led to where we are right now, which is a lot of the same problems continuing on for a long time. And so to put that in more concrete terms, when we were doing the work in Charlotte, or, you know, we still have this organization in Charlotte that is doing great work. We went to business leaders and we said, listen, we, we realize that in our community, we have a, a shortage of 34,000 units of housing. Well, do you think a pastor is going to be better at addressing this? Or do you think it might be somebody who's a builder, mm-hmm. right? And so we went to builders and we said, you know, hey, you can be discipled into using your gifting for God's glory. And through that, we have seen just an awakening in the business community where we've been able to participate in seeing multiple uh, affordable housing communities come to life, um, helping families move towards home ownership. We've been able to see people that are gifted in areas of education use their gift of teaching to do, you know, rehab programs, um, to be able to do jobs training programs and help people break cycles of poverty. And I think that what we do sometimes is we overlook the business leaders, or we just want them to write checks, or we want them to be board members when they could probably be the people that address the very needs in our community in a way that says, you know what, like, let's come up with a new solution. Entrepreneurs are gifted by, by God and anointed by God to, to kind of fill gaps, right. And like create new things. And I think that we can awaken that entrepreneurial spirit and use it for God's glory. In what ways have you seen your community and other communities transformed over time? I mean, you mentioned the housing, but what are some of the other ways that you've seen God transform your communities over, over time? Well, I think that any transformation is going to start with people. Um, there's, a, there's an author named Peter Moskowitz that wrote a book. It's actually a, a really funny title. It's called How to Kill a City. And he has this, um, he ha- it's about gentrification and inequality in cities. And he says that systems can change because systems are made of people. And so when you ask me that question about like, how are communities changing? My first response is always, it starts with the people in the community and people need to see each other. And so, you know, to me, that starts with, with local churches that are courageous and willing to engage topics of race and economics. And then that almost gives like a, a new location for people to, to really start to discuss these things in a way that honors God and leads to Jesus and leads to the healing that is found in relationship with Jesus. So that's, that's one way. And, and the most important way is seeing people come into knowledge of each other as they take their knowledge of Jesus and, and engage in relationships. The other thing that I would say is, you know, just like really practical ways of 
and, and this isn't just with the work that was started in Charlotte, but all over the country, you know, I've got a chance in, in different parts of the world now that I'm traveling full time is seeing people address things like, for instance, the affordable housing crises that we have in cities across the world. I'm seeing people use their giftedness to say, okay, we're going to come together. We're going to bring various different resources together and we're going to provide stable housing for our neighbors. You know, like the organization that I had the joy of partnering with a group of business leaders and residents of West Charlotte to to form, we've seen equitable access now to education, employment, healthcare, housing. Like those are things that if you can have equitable access to those four areas, now all of a sudden your life is stabilized and you can move towards healing holistically in communities. And, and it's been a really beautiful thing to see. Final question, David, because I know you're a busy man. Uh, how, <laughs> what, where can people find you on the net and what sort of resources have you made available to churches and pastors and lay people? Yeah, well, I mean, I just appreciate this opportunity to to share with you and to kind of hear your heart and great questions. Neighborliness.com uh, with no you in the middle. So neighborliness.com is the uh, is the main website for the book. And, it, and if you did neighborliness.com backslash resources, there is a ton of free resources and we're continuing to add more and more. We've got community-wide prayer initiatives. We have like a six-month education and consulting journey that I do with churches all over the world to explore matters of race and economics and how you can engage in the community. We've got a really practical guide for churches, a free download of a 30-page booklet that we wrote called Neighborliness in Your Church. And and that guide is a step-by-step guide to a six-week sermon series, corresponding small groups, and, and just how to prepare your church to really engage with the message of neighborliness. And so, yeah, neighborliness.com is where you can find all of that. Um, you know, I've got a personal website, which is just my name, which is daviddukason.com. And um, that's where, like, if folks out there want me to come and speak or work with their team or anything like that, um, there's a speaking request form on that. Awesome. Thank you, David. David Dukerson, who's just published this book with Thomas Nelson in the States called Neighborliness, Love Like Jesus, Cross Dividing Lines, Transform Your Community. David, thank you so much for your time. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge, who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. David, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Pleasure. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.